The Blazing Furnace Aubie, Northern France, April 1942 Sparks exploded in all directions, showering the blackened workers in a fiery hell. The dragon's blood of molten metal oozed orange and yellow from the monster's womb. A soldier stood guard, the silver SS insignia of his collar shining in stark contrast to the dull leather garb of the workers. The ingots moved slowly along the line as the heat and smoke seared the lungs and fouled the air. A blast of water vaporized into an angry hiss, dropping the temperature into the realm of mortals. The one-kilo bars rested, gray and lifeless. They needed to be perfect in every detail. They needed life. A soldier recorded the lot and serial numbers before sending the bars on to be plated. The SS guard delivered a completed ingot to Herr Funk's temporary office at the foundry. The president of the Reichsbank smiled. The plating is perfect, he announced. Monsieur Guerin, the manager of the Lamy foundry, was pleased. I promised you a quality product, Herr Funk. I hope we can be of service to you in the future. The Third Reich will not forget your service, monsieur, and he ordered the soldier to return the ingot to the loading dock. Once safely placed in the armored car, the load of one thousand bars rolled out of the foundry yard on its journey to Paris under cover of darkness. Two armed guards riding motorcycles led the procession. Two trucks of Waffen-SS followed. Under tight security, workers loaded the shipment onto a boxcar, and the train pulled out on its journey east. At Rotau, inmates waited in silence for the train to arrive, to offload the cargo and distribute the spoils, watching the hands of the station clock slowly mark the last hours of their suffering. Work will set you free, they had been told. So they, like the others before them, volunteered. Like the others before them, the slave labor crew would be shot once the train was unloaded. They would finally be free. The fires of hell blazed on through the night. Chapter 1 The Photograph September 10th, Present Day It had been a busy summer. The success of the Juno letters in the newspapers and social media opened a whole new world of possibilities and a whirlwind of traveling and activities. A major TV talk show and over twenty talk radio broadcasts later, I was exhausted and glad for the chance to sit down with a cup of coffee at my office in the Olympic Club. Well, we have a celebrity, my waitress scolded me in a mock serious voice. Don't expect any big-shot treatment in here, mister. I just smiled, and when I turned to take my regular seat, I saw a makeshift poster hung on the side wall next to my table that featured the cover of the book The Juno Letters. A three-by-five card taped along the short edge read, The Author is In. 
The Snickers in the restaurant made me realize I probably did not want to find out what was on the flip side. I knew I'd probably be pouring my own coffee for most of the morning today. It was good to be home. My excitement at the success of the Juno letters had tempered when I received a phone call during my travels from Paulina Beale, Gala's granddaughter. Gala Chavette had passed away peacefully in her sleep. I spoke with Paulina about her grandmother. The family knew very little about Gala's past. She had never married, but had taken the family name of the father of her baby daughter. Paulina's mother, Helena Chavette, was born in 1947 in Israel. Beyond this, Gala's history was a mystery. According to Paulina, Gala feared her past would harm her family. She would not tell them her family name, only that God knew her family well. That was enough.